it's awesome to be with you guys tonight. I'm excited. I, I always enjoy getting to open the Word of God. Normally, I'm behind a guitar and a microphone. So uh, normally, the way I get to share is through music. But um, every once in a while, the Lord gives me the privilege of opening His Word in front of students or adults, and I get to share that. And um, it's always a great, great privilege whenever you get to open the Word of God. The, the great thing about it, um, I may not be a great speaker. You may walk away from here tonight and say, man, that guy was really bad. Um, but God has promised that whenever this book is opened, it never returns void. He will always use it. And uh, as we get ready to start tonight, I'd just like to have a word of prayer with you guys, and then we'll, we'll dive right in. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this evening. Um, Father, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for how it speaks to us, how it teaches us, how it uh, corrects us when we're going the wrong way. Lord, how it guides us in the way to live. And um, God, how it tells us who you are and, and teaches us about you. God, I pray that tonight as we open your word, Lord, I pray that we would be attentive. God, I know I'm a new face, and these guys don't know me, and I don't really know them, but Lord, as long as, as we're your children, Father, we, we have a connection. And uh, God, we have a desire to know who you are, and Lord, even greater, you have a desire to know us, and we thank you for it. Father, I pray that you would help us to take your word seriously tonight, and Lord, that we wouldn't be distracted, but Father, you would show each and every one of these young men and young women um, God, maybe where, where their view of you is lining up. And uh, just speak tonight. God, um, direct my, my words and, and the things I share so that, Father, it, it just points to you and that you are honored. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to look at three different passages tonight, okay? And the first one is in Luke chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 18, all right? And what I want to talk to you guys about tonight is perspective. Now, what does the word perspective mean? Anybody tell me? Right here up front. How you view things, right? So, what's your perspective right now of this? That's a water bottle, right? What is it now? Can, can you see it? What's your perspective? You guys can see it. Can you see it? So, you don't really know what I'm holding behind my hand. If you hadn't seen me pull it behind my back, you wouldn't know what it is, right? What if it's like this? You can kind of see it, but not really well, right? Now, what if you decided that this wasn't a water bottle? What if you said, that's a basketball? Oh, it's a pony? It's a unicorn? But, but is it really a unicorn? It's not really a unicorn. It's now, all right. So what's 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 the problem there? He he's calling that a unicorn. Uh, because it's number one, it's not all white, and number two, it doesn't. Because he has no idea what it is. He's created. Listen up. Listen up. He's created a wrong perspective. Right. He's looking at it the wrong way. That's not really what it is. And he can tell himself it's a unicorn all he wants, but we all know it's a bottle, right? Sometimes we do that with God. We have a wrong perspective and we start to look at him and we say, this is what God is or this is who he is, but we haven't really dug into his word to have the right perspective. And I want to show you three different perspectives that, that some people in the Bible had had about who God was. Two of them are, are incorrect perspectives. And then the last one is going to show you guys kind of how to have the right perspective about God. All right. So Luke chapter 18, starting in verses 9 through 14. 
It says this. If I can get my Bible up. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift up his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The first perspective that we see in this story, as you go through it, you've got two different men. Now, who was the first guy? Did anybody catch who the first guy was that came to the temple and was praying? And what's a Pharisee? A priest? A religious leader. Excellent answer. Which oftentimes would be a priest. They were leaders, right? They were leaders in the temple. They were the ones who were supposed to be leading the people spiritually. If you were to put it in today's context, it would be like the pastors or the youth pastors. Okay? It was this person who was supposed to lead the people spiritually. And Jesus is telling this story, and he says, all right, this religious leader, he comes to the temple. He comes to what was their church. He comes out, and he's praying in front of all the people, and he says, God... Thank you that I'm not a sinner like all these other people around here. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I'm not committing adultery. Uh, I'm giving you my money. And I'm definitely not like that guy over there. Now, who was the other guy? He's a tax collector. Now, tax collectors aren't really popular today, but they really weren't popular back then. They were, they were viewed um, very badly. Okay, nobody liked tax collectors. They were kind of scum. Um, oftentimes, because many of the tax collectors were Jewish people who were working for the government and stealing money from their own people. And so he's got this picture of this religious leader and then this, this tax collector, this person that everybody hated and that viewed as bad. And he says, all right, the religious leader comes in and he's, you know, he's thanking God that he's not like all these sinners and, and just spouting off all the list of things that he does do and things he doesn't do. And then you've got this guy that everybody hates and he won't even come close to the temple. Before he even gets there, he falls down on his knees and he says, woe is me, I'm a, I'm a sinner. God have mercy on me. So Jesus is, is talking to the crowd and he says, okay, who do, you think, who do you think God is more pleased with? Who do you think God is more pleased with? Why? Because just because you give all your money to God doesn't mean like, that you can get saved and go to heaven. Yeah. And but yeah, the first thing I do is repent and then turn away from your sin and go to heaven. Mm-hmm. That's why he is, like, whatever you just said. Yep. What are we talking about tonight? We're talking about, like, repent. Perspective. Yep. As you look at this picture, yes, sir. Cool. All right. As you look at this picture, Jesus is painting this picture of, of perspective. 
And he says, all right, this guy who's supposed to be the religious leader who everybody was looking at to be the example of the relationship between God and man, he comes in and he's standing before God and he says, hey, God, look at all the things that I've done. Look at all the things I'm not doing. See, his perspective was wrong. He was looking at God like God was his cheerleader. Yeah, you can snicker. That sounds kind of funny. I get it. Now, what is a cheerleader's job? Do we, do we have any cheerleaders in here? All right. What is the cheerleader's job? You cheer people on? Just cheer anybody you want to on? Cheer the team on? And how do you do that? All right. Quiet down, guys. Hey. Shh. Shh. Quiet down. Uh, nope. Shh. She's answering the question. You encourage them. How do you do that? Right. Go number 12. You got this. All right. So the cheerleader's job, listen up. The cheerleader's job is to encourage the player. The cheerleader is going to pat them on the back. They're going to tell them what a good job they're doing, right? They're going to tell them, you know, you can do this. Oh, great job on throwing the football. Great job on shooting the hoop, whatever. The cheerleader's job is to encourage the player. And what this religious leader was doing is he's coming to God and he's saying, hey, God, you're my cheerleader. You should be patting me on the back. You should be telling me what a good job I'm doing. He pulls out this checklist and he says, Hey, God, look at all the things I'm not doing. I'm not committing adultery. I'm not lying. I'm not cheating. I'm not stealing. And look at all the things I am doing. I'm praying. Uh, I'm giving you money. And some of you guys here tonight, some of you girls here tonight, for you, God is your cheerleader. Now that sounds ridiculous when I say it to you, but if you were to be honest with yourself, some of you, you come to God, and just like this religious leader in the Bible, you say, you know what, God, you should be patting me on the back. I've gone to church every Sunday. I go every Wednesday. I go to Christian school. I'm doing a quiet time. You got your checklist of all the things you're doing, and then you tell them all the things you're not doing. Hey, God, I'm, I'm not going out and getting drunk on Saturday night like some of my friends. Hey, God, I'm not sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend. God, I'm not cheating on the test like, like those other kids. And you got all these lists of things that you're doing and not doing, and you're holding it up in front of God, and you're saying, God, you should be patting me on the back. You should be cheering me on. Is that God's job? Why not? Does anybody know what the, the Bible says about our righteousness, what it looks like before God? Filthy rags. And so you bring this list before God, and you're saying, God, you should be so proud of me. You should be patting me on the back. And just like this, this religious leader, he was so proud of his good works and his religious dedications, he thought that God owed him praise. That God owed him praise. Then you've got the tax collector, the guy that everybody looked at and said, man, this guy is scum, he's, he's rotten, he's dirty. But when he came before God, he wouldn't even come to the temple. He fell on his knees and he said, God, I'm a sinner. I need your mercy. See, he had the right perspective. He understood, you know what, God didn't owe him praise. God wasn't supposed to be his children. It's the other way around. We owe God praise. That he recognized, you know what, God, apart from you, 
I'm a wreck. I'm broken. I'm messed up. And I need your mercy. See, the tax collector recognized how sinful he was and how desperately he needed God's mercy. He had the right perspective. So the first question is we're going through and looking at his perspectives. Maybe you're here tonight and your perspective of God is warped and you're looking at him like he's your cheerleader. You're the kid that's been coming to Christian school for, you know, ever since you started. You're the kid that doesn't miss a Sunday or a Wednesday. You and your family, you're here every time the church doors are open. You've got your checklist of all the good things you're doing and, and all the bad things you're not doing. And so when you come before God, you're just like, you know what, God should be proud of me. I, I'm, I'm keeping up this game face and, and He should be patting me on the back and He shouldn't be giving me a hard time and He shouldn't be asking me to do more because God, look at all that I'm doing. You should be proud of me. You should be giving me praise. For some of you tonight, you're looking at God like He's your cheerleader. Turn back a few chapters to Luke chapter 7. And starting in verse 6, it says this. Talking about Jesus going, and he was going off with some of the religious leaders. It says this, so Jesus went with them, but just before they arrived at the house, actually, that's the wrong, sorry, 36 through 47. I knew that wasn't right. Chapter 7, verse 36, it says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Here's the second story. Okay, Jesus is hanging out with another Pharisee, another religious leader. They go to the house and, and it's Sunday. And, and this guy's name is Simon. He says, hey, Jesus, why don't you come on over to the house? We're going to kick back. We're going to watch the game, have some wings. I'm having some people over. And Jesus is like, all right, yeah, you know, I'll come over. 
So they get to the house, and, and Simon, you know, all of his friends are there, and Jesus is sitting at the table. They're, they're eating on the wings. The game is on. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, she walks in. Now, we all know who she is, right? She's that girl that as soon as she comes to school, you all start chitter-chattering and saying, I can't believe she's wearing that today. Did you hear what she did this weekend? Who she was with? No, the real question is who she wasn't with, right? She walks in. And Simon and all of his friends, they get real quiet and they start nudging each other. What is she doing here? What is she doing here? She knows better. She makes her way through the crowd and you know she felt all the eyes were on her. She could hear people calling her names as she passed by. And she gets to Jesus and she has this expensive oil in her hand. She pours it on him. She begins to wipe his feet with her tears and her hair. She's kissing his feet. Simon's looking on and he's like, man, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't even let her in the door, let alone be, be touching his feet. See, Jesus knew what he was thinking. And he says, hey, Simon, I've got a story for you. There were two people and they owed this guy a lot of money. All right, One of them owed him 500 pieces of silver, the other owed him 50. That's a lot more money than what it sounds like. Okay, Back then, that'd be like, okay, say this guy owes him $500 and this guy owes him $50,000. Alright? Neither one of them could repay the debt. So the guy that they owe the money to, he says, you know what? Neither one of you can pay the debt. Let's, you know, I'm just going to cancel it. Debt is gone. Neither one of you owe me anything anymore. So, so Simon, if, if this guy does that, who is going to be more grateful? Simon, being the smart guy that he is, says, well, the one who was, given, who was forgiven the, the greater debt, right? And Jesus is like, I knew you were smart, Simon. Right on. He says, Simon, this woman, when she came in, she recognized that, that she had a great debt that she could never repay. And he goes through this illustration and he says, you know what, Simon, when I came in the house, you didn't wash my feet. Now, in biblical times, your feet were considered the dirtiest part of your body. They're walking around either barefoot or in sandals, and so your feet were just covered in the nasty dirt, right? There weren't paved roads. There weren't sidewalks. It was, it was dirt everywhere. So the first thing you would do when you would come into somebody's house is their servants would wash your feet so that you could be considered clean to come into the house and eat. How many of you guys take your shoes off at the door of your house? Yeah, that's, that's kind of where that, that tradition originated, right? To consider yourself kind of clean coming into the house. You don't make the house dirty by dragging in all the dirt and all the mud. And he says, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't have your servants wash my feet. But here is this woman, and she is washing my feet with her tears. He said, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't greet me with a kiss. Now, that sounds kind of awkward to us in, in today's culture. Uh, Jay talked a little bit about it in one of the chapels today, about how he, when he went to the Dominican, that's how they greet each other. They greet each other with a kiss. It was the same way in biblical times. Okay, it'd be like me coming up and, and being like, what's up, dog? 
How you doing, man? Good to see you. Right? Handshake, a high five. It, it, it's just a normal greeting to a friend, to somebody that you're saying, hey, how you doing? You know, you shake their hand, you give them a high five. The bro hug, you know, the little high five and then the one arm around the back, you know. And he's saying, you know what, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't greet me with a kiss. But here she is, she's kissing my feet. Oh yeah, remember the ones that you didn't wash when I came in? She's kissing my nasty, dirty feet. He said, Simon, when I came into your house, you didn't give me the courtesy of anointing me with oil. Now what that was, it was, just, it was a way how a host would show their guest a sign of blessing. Hey, you know what? I, I want God's good for your life. So they would take a little oil and they would just put it on your forehead. Thanks. You're welcome. Blessings upon you, bro. <laughs> so he's saying, you know what, Simon? When I came into your house, you didn't anoint my head with oil. But here she is. She has this costly oil, this extremely expensive um, perfume that, that many would say it was at least a year's wages, the cost of this oil. And here she is. She's pouring it on my feet, pouring it on my head. See, Simon's perspective and his relationship between God and his relationship with Jesus, he looked at him like he was his bro. Now, there was a popular phrase that was going uh, around a couple years ago on a lot of t-shirts and stuff, and it said, Jesus is my homeboy. And I really hated those shirts because that's the picture that it was painting. See, Simon was looking, his relationship with God, that, that God was his bro. Hey, Jesus, come hang out with me afterwards, but you know what? I'm not going to worry about you know, washing off your feet when you come in the house. I'm not going to greet you with a kiss, you know, just a normal sign of, 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 of care for, for someone or respect. I'm not going to worry about anointing your head with oil and, and giving blessings on me. But you understand, right? Because we're cool like that. We're close. We're bros, and you understand. I'm going I'm to approach this the way I want to, and I'm going to do my own thing. And, but you'll understand because we're, we're bros. We're close like that. Whereas this, this harlot, this prostitute that everybody was looking at and judging and saying, what is she doing here? She came in with the right perspective. The perspective of saying, you know what, I've got a lot of sin debt. And I can't pay it off on my own. And Jesus is the only one. And I want to show him the love and the respect that is due to him. Now when Jesus told that story to Simon about the two debtors, was he saying that Simon didn't have debt? That he did was he saying that, you know, well, because this person owed more, you know, they loved more. Realistically, the picture was a little backwards. See, Simon thought he was the one that owed the the fifty pieces of silver, but really he was the one that owed the five hundred. Because he was missing the picture. He didn't even recognize that he was he was the one carrying a debt. And he's looking at, at Jesus, he's looking at this relationship to God and saying, you know what, God, I'm going to live the way I want to live. And you're going to be cool with it because we're bros. And many of you here tonight, especially in Christian schools, 
and if you've been coming to youth group for a long time, this is a very popular perspective that students, and, and honestly, adults, your parents, have on God. They say, Jesus is my homeboy. God is my bro. And you know what? I'm going to show up. I'll show up to church on Sunday. Maybe I'll even show up on Wednesday. But the rest of the week, you know, it's, it's my life. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go out to the club with my friends on Friday and Saturday night. But God, you understand, right? Because you're my bro. We're close. I've accepted you as my Savior. So we're cool with it, right? You don't need to worry about when Jesus comes in the door about washing his feet. Hey, God, you know what? Uh, I got this, this opportunity to be on this really, really well-known sports team. And, and, and we play on Sunday mornings. Um, but you understand, right? I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I'll still come on Wednesday nights. Maybe, uh, maybe I'll go to, you know, to camp. But God, this, this is a big deal. And because we're bros, you'll understand it's okay that I don't give you the respect that is due to you. It's okay that, that I, don't, I don't show up to hear your word, that I don't, I don't bring my Bible when you want to talk to me. And many of you... You come before God, and that's how you're looking at Him. Hey, Brandon, I'm a Christian. I've accepted Jesus in my heart. Well, that's fine and dandy, but is that where it stopped? What's your perspective on God? Where's, where's the respect that is due to Him? Would you be like Simon, and if God walked into the door of your life right now, Simon says, you know what, I, Jesus, it's, it's cool for you to come over to my house, but I'm not going to respect you enough to wash your feet. I'm not going to honor you enough to, to greet you with a kiss. I'm not going to anoint your head with oil. And if God walks into the door of your life, you say, hey, you know what, God, it's cool that you're in my heart, but I'm not going to give you basic honor and respect. God, you want me to live in purity? Come on, really? I mean... My, my, my boyfriend or my girlfriend, you know, we, we fooled around a little bit, but we haven't had sex. You understand that, right, God? I mean, it, we're cool because I've got salvation. Hey, you know what, God? I, I know your Bible talks about, you know, not living this kind of lifestyle and, and surrounding myself with the world, but, but God is so boring on the weekends. I mean, I want to go to the clubs. God, I want to go hang out with, with, the, with the college students at the after-game parties. Hey, God, you know, I, I know your Bible talks about staying in the Word on a regular basis and reading it and knowing, you know, what you have to say, but God, I don't have a lot of time. I mean, I get up early in the morning, I go to school, and then I got after-school activity, and then I've got, you know, I've got to get some time on my Xbox or talking to my girlfriends or, you know, and, and then it's time for bed and I got to get ready for the next day, and God, I don't really have time. I don't really have time for to get into the words, so, but you understand, right? Because I mean, my schedule's busy. And many of you, you're looking at God, and He's your bro. There's no respect there. There's no proper perspective. You've forgotten that you have a great debt that you could never repay. 
and that it was God who paid that debt for you by sending His Son on the cross. Let that sink in for a second. Don't be like Simon. He was so cocky, so proud. And that's why his perspective was wrong because, and that's why we get in the same perspective because we forget that we were forgiven the greatest debt that could ever be. We were on our way to hell. We were far from being able to get into heaven. And that debt was forgiven when you accepted Christ into your life. But then for some reason, as soon as we get that salvation, as soon as we get that get out of hell free ticket, we start to live our lives the way we want to. I'm going to hang out with the people I want to hang out with. I'm going to listen to the kind of music I want to listen to. I'm going to watch the kind of movies or, or shows or whatever I want to. I'm going to have the kind of relationships I want to. I'm going to go work where I want to. And God, you're going to understand. You're going to be cool with it because we're bros. That's not how it works. That is a wrong perspective. Whereas this, this, this woman came in and she recognized, you know what? He deserves respect. She had the right perspective. He deserves my thanks and my adoration. He, exer- he deserves the very best I can bring. For her, that, that ointment, it was a year's wages. That was a lot of time and energy put into and hard work put into being able to get that. And she said, you know what, Jesus? You're worth it. I bet if she had more money, if she had more ability, if she had more time, she would say, this isn't even enough. Why do you think she was weeping? Some of you, you're looking at God and you think he's your cheerleader. He should be patting you on the back because you're a good little boy or a good little girl. And you've got your little checklist of of your do's and don'ts. And God should be praising you. Some of you, you're looking at God and you're treating him like he's your bro or your girl. And because you're tight like that, you can get away with whatever. And you don't give him respect. You don't give him honor. You don't listen when he's trying to speak to you, when he's trying to warn you to stay out of trouble, when he's trying to protect you and love you and bless you. Because you're too busy doing your own thing, just like Simon. That Jesus is just another title in your life, but he's not really a part of your life. He's not the kind of person that if you were in Simon's shoes that you would wash his feet that you would greet him with a kiss, that you would anoint his head. You're too busy with your own life and with your own way that God's just, you know, he's just another check on on the box. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Does your life show it? Does it show that you respect God? Does it show that you honor God? Does it show that you have a right perspective like this woman who said, you know what, I have a great debt to God and I could never repay it and my life will reflect that I have been broken and that I am grateful and that I am thankful that God has saved me. The last perspective, we're going to look in Isaiah chapter 6. I'm moving a little bit quicker tonight than I normally do, so we're flying through, but I'm going to take a little bit more time here. 
Isaiah chapter 6, it says this in verse 1. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me. It's all over. I'm doomed, for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Yes, go. We've talked about two of the wrong perspectives, two of the very popular wrong perspectives, especially within the church and within Christian schools, the perspective that God's your cheerleader. He should be cheering you on, He should be patting you on the back. That he should be the one who's giving you the praise. We talked about Jesus being your homeboy, which isn't only popular in the church, but it's popular outside of the church. There's a lot of people that want to claim the name of Jesus. Oh yeah, I love Jesus. But their life doesn't really reflect it. Because I'm going to do things my own way. And Jesus is going to understand. God's going to understand. God will forgive me. Because he's a God of love, right? So he's cool with it. I'll just tell him I'm sorry and then we'll be able to move on. Not with that heart. Not with that that mindset because it's not true repentance. It's not truly understanding you need God's forgiveness. Are you looking at Jesus like he's your cheerleader? Are you looking at him like he's your homeboy? This last one, Isaiah was a prophet. He was basically an Old Testament preacher. God would speak to him, and then Isaiah would speak to the people. And he's telling this story, he says, you know, one day I I was chilling at my house, and all of a sudden, I find myself in the throne room of God. I mean, he's shocked. You know, he's just kind of sitting here, chilling. You know, got the TV on, watching the news. And all of a sudden, he finds himself in this new place. I was in this place, and, and it was, I saw these, these angels, and I saw God up on his throne. And he's surrounded by these angels, and, and they had six wings. With two of them, they were flying. With two of them, they were covering their face. With two of them, they were covering their feet. They're crying out, holy, holy, holy. And, and just he was describing everything that was going on. And so he comes into the temple and he's looking around. Oh, this huge temple. And, and there's these angels. They're, they're starting to gather around this huge group of angels. They're just they're kind of filling in the auditorium. 
here's Isaiah at the back, and he's kind of like, wow, this is, this is pretty crazy. And he's looking around, and all of a sudden he looks up, and there is God Almighty sitting on His throne. I mean, could you imagine? Probably took His breath away. God in all of His holiness, in all of His purity, radiating from the throne. The Bible says that His train, the train of His robe, it filled the temple. Now, who knows what a train is of a robe? Right here. Right, it's that bottom part of the dress that goes on and on. Or, or in, in modern culture, okay, the way that you see it a lot is at a wedding, right? The bride's veil oftentimes is very long goes back. What that signified, okay, it was generally signs of royalty. It was generally the royal people who would wear these, these long trains on their robes or their capes or whatever. And the longer it was signified your greatness, so if it was just a little short robe, you know, you were, you know, you were well known or whatever, but the longer your robe was, it signified, hey, this guy is really important. And he said that God's robe was so long, it filled the entire temple. I mean, basically what he's saying is God was great and it was noticeable. And here's Isaiah at the back of the auditorium and the angels are all gathered around and, and it said that, um, that they start to whisper amongst themselves. I've, I see it like this. All the angels, they're bowed down, getting ready to worship. You know, and God's up on his throne, and Isaiah's here kind of in shock, trying to figure out what all is going on. And one of the angels looks up. <laughs> holy. <laughs> hey. Holy. <laughs> hey, guys. Holy. Holy, and it starts to spread amongst the crowd. And the angels start to say, Holy, 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 holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And they're shouting and they're screaming. And it says that the, the whole foundation of the temple began to shake and it was filled with smoke. It was like this, this huge, like, rock concert for God. You know, as the lights are shooting and the smoke's filling up the place and they're screaming and they're shouting and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. And here's Isaiah. They're shouting and they're screaming and praising God. I mean, have you ever been in a moment like that? Like a, like a, whether it's a worship con concert or a rock concert or something and just everybody is going nuts and you can hear the music and everything what is the feeling that starts to take over you it's you've got that adrenaline you've got that excitement and you're feeling it and you're like yeah woo! yeah I love these guys you know and here's Isaiah in the midst and they're just screaming and shouting and he's feeling it and I, I just I envision him being like he's starting to get caught up in it He's feeling the excitement. He's feeling the passion. And all of a sudden, he looks up at God. And his face quickly changes. The joy and the excitement is no longer in his heart because 
as the angels are crying out, holy is the Lord, Isaiah gets it. And he looks up. He sees Almighty God who's holy and pure. He looks around and sees the angels crying. He looks up at God. The angels, God looks at himself and he's covered in these filthy rags. God is holy. God is pure. He looks back at himself. Disgusting. God is pure. God is holy. I'm disgusting. God is pure. God is holy. I'm disgusting. What am I doing here? And he begins to weep and he says, Woe is me. I'm undone. What am I doing here? I have no right to be here. This incredible worship service of Almighty God who is holy and who is just. And I'm here in these filthy rags. I'm disgusting. I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. I have no right to be here. And I I just see him weeping because he gets it. You ever been at that place where you really get the right perspective of God? As you read his word, as you hear what he has to say, you recognize, man, God is holy. He's pure and he's just. Why would he love me? We're dirty. We're sinful. We constantly do things that displease him. And if we were to look at ourselves in the mirror, we would see that we are covered in these dirty rags And it brings you to the place of brokenness of saying, God, I'm undone. I don't belong in your presence. I don't deserve to know you. You ever been there? You ever had that moment where you really saw God for who he is and you saw yourself for who you really are apart from him? See, the beautiful thing is Isaiah had the right perspective. It was hard. It was heavy. It was painful. But the story doesn't stop there. See, there was another side. There's always two sides to a story. God sitting up on his throne. The angels starting to file in. They're getting ready for the worship service. Sees Michael come on over and Gabriel, and they're all getting ready. And he can he can sense the excitement starting to build. They love worshiping him. And they're all getting in their places, and and it's all getting ready to start. And all of a sudden, in the back door, <sighs> comes Isaiah. I mean, he's he's gross. Clothes are torn, they're dirty, they're nasty. He's got mud all over his face. He stinks. The flies are flying around him. The angels aren't really paying attention because they're so enthralled with God. They're, they're so focused on, on the one who is sitting on the throne. But God saw him walk in. Doesn't really say anything. He's just kind of observing everything. 
he sees Isaiah as he walks in and his eyes get really wide, just taking it all in. He sees the little smile on his face, like realizing where he is and, and starting to feel the excitement as the angels are spreading across. Holy, holy, holy. And they're starting to go nuts. He sees Isaiah starting to get caught up in the excitement. Man, this is awesome. And then he sees as Isaiah's eyes connect with him, he sees that face turn into one of sheer horror. God watches as his eyes connect with Isaiah. He sees the moment when Isaiah's perspective locks in. He sees as Isaiah breaks down and begins weeping. His brokenness and his humility. Humiliation is more like it. Isaiah, embarrassed and humiliated, knowing that he has no right to be there in this pure, beautiful place. God's watching the whole thing. He leans over to one of his angels. He says, hey, I want you to take one of those coals off the altar. I want you to go touch it to that guy's lips. Tell him that he's clean. The angel takes the coal off the altar. Starts walking down the center aisle. Isaiah's down there weeping. Puts it to his lips. He says, hey, you know what? You're clean now. Immediately, Isaiah looks down. He's no longer covered in rags and mud. He's wearing a bright and shining robe. Reflecting just like the one that, that God is wearing on the throne. He's pure now. He deserves to be there. He has now been given a place rightfully in the presence of God. God continues on and doesn't make a big deal out of it. He kind of plays it off in my opinion. And I see him like this. He's walking around and he's like, all right, guys. Angels, listen up. I've got a mission. And I need somebody to go for me. Little, little smirk on his face because he knows what he's doing. Hey, guys, this is really important. I've got a message that needs to go out. These people need to hear this message. Who will go for me? Guys, who can I send? And he knows exactly who's going to respond, but he's playing it off like he doesn't know. And I see Isaiah in the back. He's looking down at his new white robe and Guys, he's got a message. Somebody's, somebody's got a... God, send me! Send me, God! I'll go! See, Isaiah had the right perspective. He came in and he recognized that God was holy. God was set apart. And he had no right to be in his presence. But as God brought cleansing to his life, as God brought him and said, You know what? I will make you belong. And now I've got a job to do. Who's going to go? Isaiah said, God, send me. I'm your man. 
How can I not? After all you've done for me, like the tax collector, like the prostitute, they recognize that God was holy, God was just, God was the one who brought forgiveness and healing to them, and forgiveness. And they said, God, take what I've got. God, I don't care if it costs me a full year's wages. God, I don't care if it costs me to be embarrassed in front of my friends. God, I don't care if it costs me this relationship. God, I don't care if it costs me this music or this entertainment. God, choose me. Send me. I'm so thankful. I'm so grateful that an almighty and holy and righteous God would clean me up and choose me and love me. God, choose me. Let me be your man. Let me be your woman. Guys, what's your perspective with God? I mean, be real with yourself. You don't have to be straight with me. See, you can fool me. You can fool your youth pastor. You can fool the church. You can even fool your friends. But I'll tell you who you're not fooling. You're not fooling God. And when it's one-on-one, you being honest with God and with yourself, what's your perspective? Are you treating God like He's some cheerleader? That He should be so proud of all your, your do's and your don'ts? That He should be coming alongside you and patting you, oh man, I'm so proud of you. You've done such an awesome job. Woo, you're awesome. Are you looking at God and, and you're treating Him like He's your bro? Hey, you know what, God? I I appreciate you dying for me. I appreciate you giving me eternal life in heaven. But you know what? I'm going to kind of do my own thing now. I'm going to live my own way. I'm going to be who I want to be. And you know what? You can kind of sit on the sidelines and you understand, right? Because we're friends now. We're, We're bros. Is that your perspective with God? It's so easy for us to turn our eyes away and to forget that right perspective. What it was like when we, when we truly saw God for who He was, that He is righteous and He is holy. Sin has no, no ability to be in His presence. Think about that. Sin has no right to be in the presence of God. Are you continually walking in sin? If you are, then, then you're not in fellowship with God. And like Jay said this morning, either one, you don't really know God, or two, you know Him, but you're not walking with Him. It'd be like Isaiah coming in and, and saying, oh, hey God, thanks for this. I'm going to pick up my dirty rags again, and I'm just going to kind of walk back out. You're looking at him like he's your cheerleader. You're looking at him like he's your homeboy. Or, or have you stopped and really reflected, you know what? God is holy. God is just. And as a sinful man or woman that I am, I have no right to be in his presence. I have no right to know him personally. But by the grace of God, he has washed me and made me clean. And he has brought me into his presence. And he has allowed me to come and to worship him and to praise him. And so when God says he's got something to do, 
When God says he needs something done, when God says he needs me to go somewhere or he needs me to say something or not go somewhere or not say something or not listen to something or not act a certain way or to act a certain way, when God says he wants something, God, choose me because I owe you everything. That's the right perspective, guys. And my heartbeat for you, for, for your leaders, for myself, because I'll tell you what, this is not an easy sermon to preach. It's convicting. I'm just like the rest of you guys. I'm a sinful man. And every day I battle with choosing God or choosing Brandon. And sadly, many of the times I choose Brandon. And I treat God like he's my cheerleader. Well, God, I, I work full-time in ministry. <laughs> you should be proud of me, right? Right? God, I'm traveling. I'm taking time out of my week to come up and do music for, for a spiritual emphasis week at a Christian school. God, you should be proud of me, right? Sometimes I treat God like he's my cheerleader. Sometimes I treat God like he's my bro. Well, God, you know, I'm going to serve you when I'm, when I'm at the school or when I'm, you know, doing church on Sunday or Wednesday. But you know what, God, I, I really want to watch this movie. You understand, right? Because we're cool. We're bros. Well, God, I really want to act this way with my girlfriend. God, I really want to listen to this kind of music. Because I like the beat. Sometimes I treat God like my bro. And my heartbeat for all of us is that we would come to the point every day and we would be reminded, Jay already said it today, you know, preaching the gospel to ourselves every day so that we can be reminded, just like Isaiah, as we come before God that he is holy, he is righteous, he is just, and we have no right in his presence apart from what he's done in us. And when we have that right perspective, when we, when we recognize first and foremost that God is holy, he's righteous, Sin has no place in his presence. Then secondly, we recognize that apart from him, we could never be in his presence. Apart from the forgiveness that he has offered to us, if it wasn't for his grace, we'd never be able to be there. And then thirdly, as we recognize those two things, as we have that right perspective, it brings us to the place to say, you know what, God? My life is yours. What I say, what I listen to, where I go, how I act. Whether I obey what you say in this word or not. God, if you say it, I'm going to obey it. Not because you're some big lawgiver and you're going to punish me because I don't, but because I am so thankful for what you've done for me. Because I am so in love with you. Because I have been so radically changed and transformed and washed by you. How can I not? How can I not? Let's close out in prayer, guys. Father, I thank you for this evening. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of opening your word. God, I thank you how it, it pierces. Lord, your word says that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And God, it pierces to the deepest part of a man, to the joints and marrow. God, it, it pierces to our hearts, and God, it shows us who we are. God, it shows us what we think about you, what we believe or don't believe. God, it shows us what our perspective is on you. God, it shows us what sin is in our life and what needs to change. God, what things we need to surrender to you. 
Father, I pray for each and every one of us in this room tonight. God, that we would come to the point to really honestly check ourselves and say, what's my perspective on God? Am I looking at Him like He's my cheerleader? God, are we treating You like You should be patting us on the back for our, our good works and our, our checklists and all the things we're, we're doing to please You and not doing to not displease You? God, are we treating You like our homeboy where, Lord, when it's convenient for us, we let You come into our lives on Sunday, on Wednesday, for special occasions. But God, when it's not convenient for us, we just kind of push You to the side. God, when, when you don't match up with the lifestyle we want to live, we push you to the side and we're treating you like you're a homeboy. Oh God, bring us to the place where our perspective is brought back to the right place. We're just like Isaiah, Father. We recognize you in your holiness. God, we recognize that we were separated and that you washed us. You are the one who brought us into your presence to fellowship with you. And because of that, God, it would bring us to the place where we are so grateful, where we are so thankful for, where we are so in love with you, that God, our lives would reflect it in everything we say and do. God, some of us here tonight, we need some radical transformation. If we look in the mirror, if we ask our friends what they saw in our lives, God, they wouldn't see that we love you. God, they wouldn't see that we, have, that we walk in purity and holiness before you. They would look at us and, God, honestly, we would, we would have put those dirty rags back on. We're too busy living our own lives to be concerned about the missions that you have for us. The orders that you have for us the desires that you have for us. And God, some of these students here tonight, Lord, they need to surrender themselves to you again. And they need to say, God, get this stuff out of my life. You brought me into your presence. You washed me. And God, I want to be your man. I want to be your woman. Choose me and use me and help me to live a life that displays to everyone I come in contact with that I am madly in love with you and I am madly thankful for what you've done in me. And God, maybe there are some here tonight who, Lord, they don't, they don't even really know you. God, their perspective isn't just warped. God, it's broken. And Lord, if there are some young men and some young women in here who do not know you as their Savior, God, they've never come to that point like Isaiah and recognized, Lord, that they really have no right to be in your presence, but that you offer forgiveness and cleansing so they can be. God, I pray that they would get it right. Lord, I pray that they would... They would pull aside one of the leaders or come talk to me after the service and say, I, I want to get this right. I want to have a right perspective of God. And Lord, that tonight they would make the choice to say, you know what? I want to spend my eternity with Almighty God who loves me and has great plans for me. God, help us to have a right perspective. Help us to not continue living with the wrong ones that, that are all about us. But Lord, to put you in the right place and that our lives would reflect it. We pray it in your name. Amen.